Happy We Met, Season 1, Episode 3. Today's guest is Ramon Garcia. Ramon is one of the most vocal leaders within the cannabis equity space in California. He is involved in cultivation with Sanctuary Farms, distribution and retail with Padre Moo, and consistently helps other equity applicants through his work with Equity Sessions. In this episode, we discuss Ramon's passion for supporting disenfranchised people and the variety of ways he brings that passion to life in the cannabis industry. Ramon, you are an absolute beast. This is Happy We Met. Let's do it. What's up, Ramon? Uh, appreciate you taking the time to chat here on Happy We Met. We are in Padre Moo Distribution HQ, uh, a room that a couple months ago even was almost empty and is now, uh, you look around and there are boxes, there are... Um, containers there are shelves all filled with product and i am so excited to talk about how you got here and a little bit of your journey so why don't you just say a little bit of hello who you are and when was the first time you smoked weed <laughs> wow uh ramon garcia second uh, generation cultivator and activist um how i got here First time I smoked weed, I was probably nine or ten, nine-ish. We lived in Mendocino. Like I had an older, I have an older brother, and we used to have to walk to school, this little school up in Ukiah, and literally it was like um, it was like a thirty-minute walk through the woods, like down trails, and like the first time we took that walk, we ended up in like in the middle of this green ass field and i'm looking i'm like oh why is this like this my brother's like bro you know what this is (laughs) (laughs) you would recognize it now (laughs) for sure like it so like at six seven years old up there we were like i was sleeping in the garden like making sure that the deer didn't eat the, the my dad told me the corn you know wasn't the corn that was hanging in the in the attic the next month like um so like corn that smells pretty good right so it's 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 always been like i was raised in a in a very native way um just trying to stick to culturally like everything about the cultures that make us up so like part of that has to do with Native Americans in this on this continent have been fighting for their right to speak their own language, practice their religion, and, and practice their own medicine, right? And that, that includes all herbal medicines, like, um, and so cannabis is one of them, including, you know, hallucinogenics and all kinds of other medicines. They're used in a certain spiritual way that help you gain some kind of value out of life, right? Totally. And, and so with that, there's there's a way that you do it right and and there's a ceremony to it and if you disrespect that ceremony it can harm you if you use the product or use whatever the creator put down here the way it was meant to be used it can ultimately have benefits so um i was always raised to to know that this plant was medicine for us and even though it wasn't like common so there was different rules in the Garcia house. 
For sure, and that uh, those rules then set you up. And so the past few years, you have been very involved in the equity programs here in the Bay Area and statewide. Um, you've been, obviously, you have your hand in delivery, in distribution, in cultivation. Um, I'd love to kind of hear how your current ventures got started with Sanctuary Farms, Padre Moo, and just Equity Sessions are the three main ones that come to mind. So um, my dad was a civil rights activist. Um, He always was just fighting for those people people who did not or or whose voices might not be heard um, on a regular basis. So just fighting for what was right. my whole life was changed by that. Like he was doing work in, in New Mexico with the native um, and the Latinos there. And literally, um, we ended up having, because he defended this group of native kids against the sheriffs um, and was able to prove that they weren't guilty of the crime that they were being charged of, basically the judge and a lot of the people and the sheriffs and people in New Mexico looked at him as a threat. And so we were basically um, threatened, my mom and dad threatened and, and me and my brother to be put in, in as wards of the state. And so we, we took political asylum from this country. Um, so like my life was changed by my dad and our family feeling like we needed to speak up for what was right and, and fight for what was right, right? Because it doesn't matter what nationality you come from, like ultimately most of the problems that we're having is from this oppressive system. And so that's what he was fighting against is, is that colonialist oppressive system that keeps us in our place and them in their place. And so that changed my whole life. And so when my dad passed in 2013, I knew I had to like take on his voice. Um, I had already kind of done it in some of my life, but, but with this especially, I saw that changes were coming legally and that all the small farmers, all the hippies, the blacks, the Latinos, the people who have been subjugated and disproportionately policed for this plant were not going to have a pathway in this industry. And so my voice became real loud, real quick, speaking for them on the state level with the cow growers, trying to attack like people who had lobbyists that would be able to push issues that, that were relative to those communities and not just like multi-million dollar lawyers in there pushing for these big corporations. So myself and couple other voices were the only voices in the room really speaking for black and brown people for Native Americans here for their right to be able to continue to to grow their plant and and be included in this and and for all the people in in the ghettos in the communities that were policed super heavily I was raised in East Oakland as well as in Mendocino so I got to see I got to see the war on drugs in all kinds of different levels and so for me it was important in this point in time to really say something. I I felt like I couldn't live with myself if I didn't say something. We weren't gonna have an opportunity to do this again. So that's what pushed me into the the political side, pushing for equity um, with the equity program in Oakland as Desley was putting that together, helping her put language together and in San Francisco and on the state level. And 
so that most of that was so that my mom's farm could be legal like she didn't she was not going to continue to do this we were doing this pre you know pre prop 64 and supplying dispensaries and and patients and then as things were going to change she didn't want to do it anymore unless it was legal like we're not going to continue to do this unless it's legal and so we didn't have money to pay in a consultant ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to go do all our paperwork. So it was me. I was the one that that basically could do that. So that was my journey in getting all of the paperwork, everything that we needed, understanding the rules, the laws, the regulations, helping push local policy to make sure that we were going to be able to get licensed. So we did that in Mendocino. We were able to license my mom's farm up there, and then um, from there. My push. When, when was that? That was um, shit. Three years ago, so probably in 2016, 2017, somewhere around that. So like we were one of the first. We were like probably within the first hundred um, applications in Mendocino to to just apply. Nice. Um, and we had a, a property there that um, we were 50% ownership and. So they had already been growing there, and that was the first place to license. Like, originally, Nevada County was our main place, but Nevada County was not licensing, so we had to follow the licenses. Totally. Okay. So that that happened, and um, I worked in music and, and alcohol and other things, so I understand, like, how they keep small business from accessing the markets through distribution. So I, once I got them going, I started pushing to get my distribution in Berkeley. I had an agreement there with a, a business that wanted to get their manufacturer's license. They're going to give me free space to help them get license to do the distribution out of there. Berkeley completely shut me down. Like they would not allow standalone distribution. They still only have licensing for manufacturing and retail. They still don't have ordinances set in place for distribution, nursery, cultivation, like any other part of the supply chain. So it was like a two-year battle. I wasted $20,000. Wasted money, yes. Okay. Like fighting that battle and and not winning and them just shutting me down. And so at that point, like it was, I need distribution. And so I met Aaron and um, at a... I met Aaron and them at a um, expungement clinic at Golden Gate University. So nice. they they called me out there to help talk about equity, and from there it kind of like. What drew you to that? Because at the time, right, Aaron had had just graduated. He hadn't even or? graduated yet. So, okay. so I Aaron- met I met I met um, Edward Brown. Um, who was in school with him at at Dennis Perone's memorial thing in by Cafe Floor, and like me and Edward were like the only two black people there, <laughs> like barely, like you know, and, and I was paying respects to Dennis Perone and what he had done, and so like um, he was the one that invited me to the expungement clinic, and from there we just. We went ahead and and um, that's where I met Aaron and them and we were talking about values and what we're trying to do um, and we kind of hit it off and then um, that's where he kind of 
told me what they were doing over here in Oakland. His dad was an equity applicant. They were getting ready to start a retail and they had a distribution license as well, but they were primarily just doing it for packaging their own product. They hadn't really thought of getting deep into distribution. So you saw an opportunity to work together. No doubt. Like if I'm going to work with anybody, I'm going to work with somebody that shares the same same type of family values and, and same outlook on, on the industry and life. And, you know, Aaron and, and Mel, Padre Mu, he like reminded me a lot of my raising, like counterculture, like really sticking up for small folks. And Aaron was doing that with the public defenders. And like we shared a lot of values and a lot of similar like ways of growing up so it was it was kind of it was kind of a natural progression to actually do that sweet okay so then again just kind of for timeline's sake when when was that 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 you met met up with them and started the conversations about working together probably um geez, beginning of 2018 probably okay. yeah or Very the cool. end of 2017 beginning of 2018 um and then like they were still going through the process again trying to get incubation and get space and everything else and then it took a while to kind of figure out what what that partnership looked like we had several meetings with his dad just making sure that everybody was on on the same page and and that it was something we wanted to move forward with and um like towards the end of 2018 is when they're finally you know getting the license able to get incubation get the space and that's when we started to move into this space hell yeah very cool and so uh what's this process been like uh to go from um empty warehouse and ramon to padre mu distribution and what has been your goals what would you you know what's your north star where where are you heading and you know right. where did you start i'm very would, curious about the evolution i would evolution. love to say that this was like a carefully crafted plan <laughs> but i think i think we just have been like <clears throat> We've just been holding on for dear life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, initially, the distribution was to be able to make sure that Sanctuary Farms product had an avenue to the market. And so I didn't want to leave that in other people's hands. I knew what what our product was. I knew what our history was with this plant, two generations. I knew that we had something that not a lot of people had. And so, like... And then we lost our crop last year in the fire, our first official licensed crop. We lost a complete crop in the fire and that like I screwed everything up. So yeah. the last year has just been basically scrambling to survive, doing whatever I could to make sure that we are here. And, and like our business model with the distribution was to basically promote equity brands, small, small family owned brands, legacy farms. Like I wasn't interested in, in carrying large, well-funded brands. Like they have their resources. I wanted to provide resources to smaller companies that wouldn't have those, that ability. Couldn't, they couldn't give up larger margins. They didn't have enough people, enough staff to do their own sales. Like, and so by kind of focusing on what I do, 
that would allow them to focus on what they do. Right. I've been running packs up and down the freeway for 30 years. Like I've been doing distribution. Now it's just doing it in a different way. Calling it distribution. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very cool. What was the what was, what are some like key moments, right? Cuz you you had to get someone to say yes the first time. Right. You had to get someone to drop off product the first time, you know. And right. what what was that like and how 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 did you go about even structuring this is what Padre Mu distribution is going to look like and these are the give services. Up all my business my business no. <laughs> plans is, no um so like I have already I was already deep in in equity and like that was the main focus of being able to promote these small farms and stuff so it started with just finding a few brands it was cloud nine you know, um, Osanian, KGB, Cloud9 was one of the first, like, major things, projects that I took on. Um, he's a grower that I've known since the late 80s, like, somehow came around this circle and ended up back in this space working together. He's one of the first people that I kind of grew indoor with, and so there was a history there. So um, I was doing, like, I knew a lot of people that had big distribution companies. I knew the owner of Rise and River and some of these big distribution companies, so I just tapped their brains. I figured yeah. out what they were doing right, what they were doing out wrong, in my opinion, and I decided this is how I'm gonna craft my thing. So, like, I didn't have any upfront money. I couldn't pay them for the product. Like, I had to be very creative. So everybody else was charging this percentage. I said, hey, um, I'll charge you less, just let me sell your product. So like, initially it was just why it was empty in here is because I was selling product that was not here yet. Right. Like I was selling equity product and then once I got the order, I would go pick it up, I would make the transfers in the manifest and get over to the dispensaries, like just hustling by any means necessary. hustling. By any means necessary. And so like that was, that's what I did. It was all me. I was doing the paperwork. I was doing the the sales. I was doing the deliveries. I was doing the pickups. I was doing the money collection. I was doing the payroll. Oh, there wasn't no payroll. So I <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because and this was this was this new piece. You know, you used to be able as a cultivator, as a grower, you could just bring your product to a dispensary. Um, but obviously, with Prop sixty four, distribution is now a pretty key piece of all that so yeah it was uh, about control like and I, I honestly i never supported prop 64 like even when the cow growers were were going at it and they were uh, you know pretty much supporting it i looked at regulation as just another way to recriminalize this plant so like Whereas, yes, you wouldn't be going to jail. That was an important piece of Prop 64 is getting rid of this criminal aspect. But this is America. Like, nothing has changed. It's, it's, it's set up to benefit certain people and not others. So, like, if we didn't understand the rules, if we didn't do things a certain way, because it's just like, you know, if we talk about social justice issues, right, police are not supposed to shoot folks. True. But they do, and they do, they shoot us more disproportionately and for less infractions than anybody else, people of color. And so 
it's not different, right? It, so like I would I expected that if I didn't understand the rules, I didn't understand how to operate under this thing that I might not go to jail, but they'll fine me to death. They'll put me in debtor's prison. They'll give me $1,000 a day per plant, whatever the whatever the the fine is and make it so that smaller business people with less less access to less capital basically would get pushed out. There's no way for them to compete. So it was important for me to understand the rules and be as compliant as possible because that was the only way I was going to survive in this. Totally. To win the game, you got to know the game. Got to know all the rules. Like, ultimately, it's us that are still being, like, in communities of color, there's young black and Latinos that are still being arrested for possession and intent to sell cannabis when this is a legal thing. And it's only because they don't know their rights and they gave they gave that up. And so authorities, they have ways of tricking you into giving up your rights. It's like the Know Your Rights campaign, right? You have to know what you can say and what you can't in order not to give up your rights. And once you give up your rights, they can do what they want to do. Right. So that was important, right? And understanding that. and. Is, is that where where your work with Equity Sessions comes in? Can you touch on that a little bit, kind of scaling this yeah. knowledge? Because for you to know it is one thing, but right. making sure so, other people yeah. are aware is a whole other beast of it's, itself. It's like, so like the business side of it, I'm always, I've been used, I've built my own businesses. I'm used to, I'm used to building business. I'm used to hustling myself. My parents were poor, didn't have a lot of money. Like I had to, create my own opportunities for college and other things. So I'm used to that, right? But there's other people that didn't have that education and those opportunities. And so when we initially fought for the equity program, we fought for state and local funding for like incubation so or ac acceleration, so technical resources. So we felt like the city who was implicit in the war on drugs and the state who was implicit on the war on drugs and the federal government who was more implicit on the war on drugs had the obligation to actually put resources to fixing the damage that they did. So for us, we advocated for access to accountants, to legal assistants, to, to business professionals, to people that can help them build a business plan, that can do their, help them with the SOPs. Like the war on drugs limited our access to education, access to generational wealth and capital. Like if you never went to, if you barely graduated from high school and never went to college and didn't have college friends that graduated and became lawyers or accountants or whatever, then you didn't have those resources that you could go to. You had to pay somebody, right? And so for us who are already in a position where we didn't have these resources, for us to have to pay for those resources, that, that was a barrier to entry that was too high for us to get. So when the city and everybody else was declining to offer these resources, oh, we don't have tax money yet and blah, 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 there's no way to fund it, you know, we explained to them, well, you, you didn't have money to you know, commit the war on drugs, but yet somehow you found the money to, to disproportionately police our communities. So like you have an obligation to provide this, this payback, like, so that wasn't going to happen. So me, I don't, I don't wait. I don't like ask for like permission. So myself, Nina Parks, Edward Brown, who I talked about earlier, um, 
and Brandon Brown, who's a partner with the dispensary in, in San Francisco, kind of took it on ourselves to do it ourselves. So in San Francisco, there was this, as the equity program came down, there was, there was a policy where all the existing dispensaries had to provide resources to the equity program. None of them knew what that meant. Like they were doing expungement clinics at Apothecarium with two or three people there. Right. Like how is that impactful? So we put together, we understood, we pulled the equity community and said, what are your needs, right? We basically asked every one of them to list their needs and importance and, and what some of their struggles were and everything else. And then we put together at our own expense, four or five hours a day, like a couple days a week, gathering and put together basically an educational platform that would help meet those needs. And then myself and Nina and a few of us that had access to lawyers like Omar Figueroa and accountants and building department and fire department, like we had already been talking to them and, and giving advice on how they can make this easier and how they can help support equity in small business. We basically, we, t we went to the retailers, we said, hey, give us these resources, give us the money, we'll put on these classes that will provide this equity applicants with all these different resources. And we went to the Office of Cannabis and said, hey, if they give us resources, will you give them credit for their community benefit plan and their equity plan? Office of Cannabis saw our educational platform. They felt like it was valuable. They gave us that approval. So we were able to leverage that rule to be able to raise funds. So we raised close to 50, a little bit over $50,000, and we provided a six-week course um, for equity applicants for free. It's awesome. So that was like more out of a need. We understood what the need was, but we also saw that that the city and, and the state was not like it was going to take a time to meet that need. And we didn't have that time. Right. Very cool. So now um, what would you say, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish in 2020? What you know, mm -hmm. if a year from now, what's the state of? Sanctuary Farms, what's the state of Padre Moo distribution, and what's the state or success stories of Equity Sessions, if all goes well? I think it's, 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 um, it's kind of playing out before our eyes. Like, you know, it's funny. I kind of tell people that, like, for a long time when this was not legal, like, I sat on the couch smoking a joint thinking, man, if this was legal, how would I do it? Right. So like it's been decades of thinking, how could I do this as a business? Right. Um, what does it look like? Well, like equity sessions, um, original equity group, we, we actually were able to register an equity trade um, certification and a trademark basically that um, would be able to help identify equity products, kind of like fair trade. And that would also like motivate retailers to put those products on their on their shelves but also give them a tool that they could use like fair trade hey you know your dollars are going towards disproportionately impacted communities and businesses coming out of those communities so like giving a value to people's dollar in products that they're already buying anyway you know what i mean to be able to like provide because all of this 
doesn't work if we're not providing a pathway for small businesses to actually be successful. Yeah. And what does that look like? That that basically looks like our own ecosystem from the plant to the retail. We have to have businesses, like-minded businesses that we that we network with and we provide resources to each other to build our own ecosystem. If we have to rely on big corporations, there's never going to be enough at the end of the road for us to be able to be successful. Like we're going to get the scraps. I'm not trying to do that. We have 100 years of of like existence in this space in California, right? Multi-generations have been selling, growing, transporting cannabis. So like we understand our product we understand that and so for us not to have a pathway like is really doing a disservice to the whole industry california provide 80 percent of nation's unregulated weed right. like for 80 years we have to understand a little bit about business in order to be able to do that that long and so like it's important for us to create this ecosystem and keep doing business the way we did and I tell, talk to like small farmers, legacy farmers, like it was these people in East Oakland and in in Bayview and LA and Compton and that were going up to the hills, buying product and selling it in the communities. Mm-hmm. That was natural. That existence can still. You Is that know, what that, you're trying to create with Padre Mood distribution? Yeah. So that's that kind of was like the impetus with. The, the distribution, the farm, and the retail is to show how we can be vertically integrated, separate businesses, you know, do business with each other and survive this. But if we continue to feed larger corporations, we continue to feed our own destruction. And like, I'm not against bigger companies. If they are supplying and they're providing pathways for us to enter the market and they're providing shelf space and they're being allies in this space i'm good with that right but it's those that come and take resources out of our community and don't invest back in our community i'm not i'm not supporting that anymore i'm like we have the one of the fortunate in my views of of the war on drugs is that they made us the consumers Right, we can't. We don't own property. We don't own businesses. So they made us the consumers. Well, there's a certain power in that. And now, instead of yelling loud, we can yell with our dollars. We can spend our money with people that support our communities and not spend our money with others. And and so that we can create a value system that basically forces some of those larger companies to reinvest into our communities. It's awesome. So that's what I want to show with this is how it can work. It's awesome. So um, this has been great. Um, I want to just kind of give you some space. Uh, anyone who you want to shout out who's helped you and uh, <laughs> what people might want to hit you up for and Jesus, where you so can, what you can be a resource for, or what you can offer. Man, like ultimately, I, I won't. I want us to unify, and, and it's not in particulars. Like, there's a lot of people that have been fighting this fight, like Nina Parks and and a lot of other people in this space that have been fight, fighting altruistically, like, sometimes against their own financial gain, right? It's because it's for the greater good of the community. There's a lot of trauma in our community, so we don't... It's not a natural thing to work together. 
And so, like, I just want us to be able to hold those values and not it not just be about money, it being about us building something that can help us create after-school programs, retraining programs for people coming back from jail, like something that is a benefit to our community, like having these businesses reinvest in our community. So like whatever we can do to gather that, whoever has those same values, see me. We've got a lot of stuff that we're trying to put together and a lot of opportunities to actually make that a reality. Hell yeah. Well, Ramon, um, I am happy we met. I appreciate your time. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Michael. And, I appreciate uh, it. Let's go smoke some weed. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Music. You can also stay up to date by following on Instagram at happywemet. For more information about the awesome people featured on this podcast, visit happywemet.com to learn more about them and find their contact information. Your time is appreciated. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Happy We Met.